Hello world and welcome back to Hopecast, a podcast on spirituality, sexuality, wellness and queerness. This is Paul in London and I'm joined by my fabulous co-hosts from around the world. Hello, I'm Anders in Amsterdam. Hello, Nick here in London. Hello, this is Oliver from Atlanta, Georgia. And this is Yasser, currently in Washington, D.C. Hello, everyone. We were so close to having a full house today, but Matthew had to drop out as he's helping a friend move house at the last minute. So he's living his white van man fantasy. Uh, we've asked for photos, which will be on our Instagram, of him being his most booch self. Uh, but for those of us who are here, we're going to start with our usual question. What's been making you hopeful since we last met? I uh, have been on vacation in the north of of the Netherlands off an island and just being uh, in nature and in the wind and uh, just having some time off and uh, doing nothing just always brings a little bit of hope even if there's nothing specific you know but I, I do feel hopeful seeing that I can actually go out and do things you know take a ferry somewhere uh, which was very nice. Did Jeffrey enjoy himself? He did not want to leave. <laughs> Actually, you sent a really lovely photo of Jeffrey on a beach, which I haven't posted yet. So we'll add that to our Instagram for hashtag fans of Jeffrey. He's asking about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about others? What's been making you hopeful? I think for me, spring. And seeing and listening to birds as they build their nests and, you know, just hope for spring and renewal. Mm. Yeah, I started with a, a new therapist um, nine weeks ago, uh, which uh, a friend had recommended. Uh, it was a friend had actually trained him uh, and he'd said he thought he'd be a good uh, fit for me and I kept putting it off. Um, but we're talking a lot about relationship and the sort of dynamic of relationship. And yeah, there, there, there's something there that's that's really healing, being able to have a space where also the relationship with him as the therapist is part of the dynamic of what what we're exploring. Uh, so there's a, there's a hope there to maybe heal. There's this saying that we're wounded in relationship and we heal in relationship. And so it's only by being in relationship that we can heal. And, and, and I think I've had a tendency to find my secluded corner and, and feel safe uh, in, in uh, solitude. But yeah, then it doesn't heal the places which are wounded. So whereas, yeah, it feels as if I'm starting a process now of, of bringing some healing to some of that. Mm. I actually just finished with my therapist. Um, after five years, we were only, um, I only saw him once a month and I, I started when I started my doctorate process because I wanted a space to examine what was going on. And when it finished, I kind of went, oh, there's a lot more to explore here. And then we met last week and did a bit of a review and kind of went, oh, this has been five years now. And I had nothing else that I wanted to talk about. And I kind of went, I think we might be done or at least done in that process. So it's weird because now I'm kind of sitting here in this space of going, 
Hmm. Now what's going to happen? So it's kind of making me hopeful, but also a bit weird that that's not there. But it was it was a good time to to stop that particular journey and see what else emerges. How about you, Oliver? I think this the spring showers, the spring rain has brought me hope. Um, here in Atlanta, it's used, we only have like a week of spring most of the time, and then it's super hot. But when we have a few days of rain and you, you can see like all the lushness of the foliage and all the trees and the breeze when it touches your skin, it's just, it's just the greatest feeling that we can have that and not be in sweltering heat for six months. <laughs> London today would make you very hopeful. It's very <laughs> rainy. <laughs> um, as always, it's uh, great that we get so much feedback from people who listen. And we always encourage you to leave us a rating or a review, five-star ratings, please. Anything less is homophobic. We had a lovely review from Gary from St. Paul's who said, fabulous podcast. From the outset, I knew it would be good interesting and thought-provoking topics which really do make you start to think i'm in so thank you gary um our last episode on bodies got some really interesting responses particularly on our instagram when we asked what would your body say to you in therapy uh, someone said stop it you're hurting me someone said why do you hate me someone said you drive me like a truck and someone said you know wine is sugar right Ease off the sugar, babe. And that question also sparked another conversation. Uh, one of our listeners said that he and his husband were actually looking for a couple's counsellor and one refused to see them because they were a same-sex couple, but did say, look, I can see you individually and then you can talk to each other afterwards. And then another friend of theirs had similar experiences where the counsellor said, look, I don't know much about same-sex relationships, but I'm going to use lots of straight couple examples and then you can work it out between you. Which both kind of took my breath away a bit. So, I don't know, have, have you boys ever had a weird experience because of your sexuality when you've tried to access services of some kind? Maybe not quite uh, on on the same level as with uh, trying to go get counseling as a couple, but uh, just going to a doctor's office, I think has been sometimes a, a weird experience for me as a, as a married monogamous gay man, uh, because multiple times with several different doctors I've had, uh, I've had them not really believe that I don't have multiple sexual partners when I say that I married to a man. Uh, and which leads to, you know, extra testing or just extra conversations or so on, um, which doesn't feel great. Uh, and it's one of those times when, you know, okay, you basically have to uh, do something different because you are not heterosexual. Uh, I, yeah, it's a bummer. Mm. Were they coming on to you? Really, like, we can't believe that you're monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> How weird. I mean, well, I don't know, maybe it's where you live as well, because I, I know that my only experience with doctors is when they go, oh, and, and how about your wife? And I have to do that thing of going, 
okay here we go again and yeah it's odd i think they've they make assumptions or they're too scared to say we also <laughs> and this isn't medically related but i remember when dan and i joined our local gym and uh, i must have i was coming out one day past reception and they kind of waved me down and said oh your brother dropped his membership card and i kind of looked at them and i went i'm an only child so that's a bit strange and i took the card and i went oh no dan's my husband and it and the, you know it was all fine but i thought isn't it interesting how they chose to say brother rather than partner or husband um and my only my only assumption was that they were worried that assuming i was gay would upset me mm. whereas assuming i had a brother upset me i'm the supreme <laughs> <laughs> I think that has actually happened to me as well. Similar really? things or showing passports when we're traveling together, uh, sharing a last name uh, can make people ask if we're siblings and either say, oh, yes, you look similar or you don't look like your brothers. <laughs> you could get into all kinds of, yeah, my monogamous brother. Yeah, we don't sleep with anyone else. <laughs> I've had similar experiences to, to Anders with um, medical care and the assumption that gay people are promiscuous. Um, I know when I've had um, cishet physicians, they would always um, ask if I've been tested every six months. And I'm like, well, I'm, I've been with my partner for years. Why would I have to get tested? And it's the assumption that number one, gay people are promiscuous and number two, they're dishonest. <laughs> so there is a, I've, I've had to ensure that my physician, I go to an all um, LGBT medical practice now. So all of my doctors are, are gay, lesbian, trans or, or what have you. So I had to transition out of that because of the assumptions. I have to look for one of those. Yeah, I don't think there is such a thing in the UK. Right, so mine's similar. Well, I had a therapist for 10 years, but she was lesbian. So that was fine. But um, with doctors too, I get it. You know, in the US, the, the model is different, right? Because we don't have a national health system. So you have plans and you can pick your primary care doctor. So even a long time ago, 18, 20 years ago in DC, I would actually call and say, and it was back then it was more of a provocative question. It's like, oh, which do you have any self-identified gay doctors on the list? And if you call them, they'd usually give you a bunch of names. So once I left college, I've always had a gay doctor and my last mm -hmm. one I kept for 20 years until my plans changed. And we used to have a lot of fun conversations and mm -hmm. you know, in his office. And none of this sort of stuff that others have had to deal with so yeah i think we're in a position now here where we can ask for that and get it mm -hmm. um, or be clear up front sometimes i do see gay doctor and non-gay doctors if i have to be referred but they've they generally refer me to someone who's more sensitive but sort of feel you know in the us we pay for our health care so <laughs> i'm if i'm paying for it i'm going to ask for what i need and want all right given the, given the model we have unfortunately I've never even thought about asking. I think that's, there's something just gone off in my head going, why have you never asked? 
and I wouldn't even have thought of it. Mm -hmm. I've just, I've just made an assumption that I just have to accept what I'm given. And if they get it wrong, then I don't know, maybe, maybe that's on me rather than just asking. Oh, I'm going to ring my GP practice on Monday. <laughs> if any of them are listening, you're going to get a call saying, "Which of you? Which of you's gay?" <laughs> and they're and and also their waiting rooms are very fab and posh. Are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe this is something for a future episode. And you know, if any listeners have had similar experiences you want to share, we are always keen to hear about those. And we did get a question uh, today around our amazing section, what would Buddha do? And the question was actually about aging. And when we talked about it before we started recording, we thought it's such a good question. We're going to hold it for our next episode and we're going to do a deep dive into the topic of aging, particularly aging through the lens of queerness. So thank you, Craig, Queen of Fags, most amazing title ever. Um, we will come back to you on our next episode. And for this episode, we have got a big topic. We're going to be talking about spirituality. Uh, each time we start an episode of Hopecast, I say it's a podcast about spirituality, sexuality, wellness and queerness. And then when I was thinking about this episode in spirituality, I had the most massive attack of imposter syndrome. Um, Luckily, I pulled out my not now Elaine and I thought about going around asking people for mustard seeds because I suddenly thought I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to spirituality. So I did have a look online. I found a quiz. I think it's semi-legitimate. It's um, written by a psychiatrist called Robert Cloninger. It comes from his book, Feeling Good, The Science of Wellbeing. And the quiz is called How Spiritual Are You? And I thought, well, if I'm going to take this test, I'm going to make all of us take it. And because I'm a bit of a shady bitch, I asked everyone as part of the quiz before they started to say who they thought would score highest or lowest. So anyone got anything to say about that before we move into it? It's a safe space. Yeah, well, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> I was just like, everyone's got good in nature, so everyone's equal here. <laughs> and Nick, you might not be surprised that most people thought you would score the highest. <laughs> and you've, you've just demonstrated it by not taking part in that process. <laughs> and the fact that I made people answer that might account for the fact that people thought I would score the lowest. So this is uh, my last episode of Hopecast. I wish you all good luck, <laughs> good luck with the rest of your life. Um, to be fair, I voted for myself too. So uh, I, I take that one on board. But I want to start with where we all agreed on something, where all six of us were in 100% agreement. And just to look at that and maybe chip in with why. Because uh, we, we all said that we felt moments of joy and oneness. Uh, we all said that we've had flashes of insight when we're relaxing. And we all said that we're fascinated by things that can't be scientifically explained, which I thought was interesting. Uh, we also all agreed, and this one, <laughs> this one I thought was more interesting. We all agreed that we said we seem to have a sixth sense that somehow allows us to know what's going to happen. And I was surprised that all six of us said that. What, what do you think is going on there? Can we unpick that a bit? Oh, yeah. Maybe 
not so much talking about my own experience, but a play I uh, watched during lockdown was set in, in Brazil. And uh, it was about a photographer who got marooned uh, in the Amazon rainforest. Uh, he'd gone to contact a, a, a tribe that hadn't previously been contacted. Um, and he was going to take photographs and then sort of get his plane to pick him up again. But when, when he first met some members of the tribe, he got so excited by this first contact that he just kept following them and following them. And uh, eventually he got back to their village and then realized that he didn't know how to get back to the river. Uh, so that started a period of months where he was living with the tribe and they didn't, they'd never been contacted before, so they didn't speak Portuguese or, you know, and, and he couldn't find any way to communicate with them. But then one day he was, he was with the tribal elder uh, sitting next to him and he suddenly sort of heard something in his mind or had a word come into his mind. And that started a whole process where they communicated each other non-verbally. Uh, and eventually various things happen and he finds his way back to another tribe who have been contacted and uh, he's talking to the shaman of the tribe and he describes this experience and the shaman looks at him and sort of says, oh, I'm, I'm really impressed. You, you were speaking the old language. Wow. So it suggests maybe, you know, there was a time when, and I've heard it said that, you know, like hunters in the past, it's speculated that uh, there was an ability, like birds communicate somehow as they're flying, that, that hunters might have had a non-verbal communication going on, that we are capable of that. Mm. It also made me wonder if there's a, a sexuality aspect to it, you know, that thing of being being the sensitive one and having uh, more of a sense of attunement and to others. I, I'd be really curious to see how, you know, this, this quiz compares between heterosexuals, homosexuals, you know, whoever, but just to see if this is a gay thing as well. Well, in that regard, I think, you know, we talk of gaydar, right, being able to pick up on other gay folks. And sometimes it's more overt things, but sometimes it's very subtle. There's not even an overt signal. You just get a sense that this person is gay or like you. And you don't quite know where that comes from. And I think that speaks a little bit to that sixth sense, which I also call intuition. Mm. That's a piece of it, not entirely, but I think it's intuitive and there's an intuitive wisdom we have that goes beyond the, you know, the, the five senses we think of. And so I think gaydar is definitely part of that. Mm. Well, there's a feeling and knowing that comes from somewhere else, from beyond thought, from beyond what we see and feel that just shows up, something, even when something doesn't feel right. That's yeah. interesting. I, I always said I had a really bad gaydar, but I think that is uh, from back when I was a little more closeted and maybe uncomfortable with my own uh, sexuality. And now I feel much more in tune with that, which maybe means that I'm also more comfortable with that uh, sensation within myself also. Uh, yeah. And I, 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 okay. Sorry, other. no, go on. No, I was, I had a, um, an ex-partner who was deaf 
And um, because our world was quiet, it was almost like every other sense was heightened, if that makes sense. And just understanding their world and um, being in the deaf community, you kind of see how they pick up on energy in the room and um, uh, dispositions they pick up on and they can just kind of see with people's eyes and um, you know, with their body language, what's going on in the room. And I just thought it was very interesting being in that world for a short period um, how just being in stillness or being in quietness heightens everything else within you, including your intuition. Mm. I think intuition definitely sits better with me than sixth sense. Mm. I think I, I feel like that I can relate to that more. There is one thing that which I have no intuition over and that's pregnant women. I am completely oblivious to pregnant women. It's the weirdest thing because I think I've got quite a good gaydar, but often I'll be you know, colleagues at work and someone will say, oh yeah, because they're giving birth in a couple of months and I'll be like, are they? <laughs> I had no idea. It's like I have this blank, this blind spot when it comes to pregnancy. I'm sure that says something. Yeah, I was just thinking about that thing about intuition or um, the ability as a mind to to pick up on something outside of, of what's known. And I don't know if others have this, but sometimes uh, in dreams, I, I can sort of pick things up. And this might just be a coincidence, you know, it, you know, it's always, a, it's always hard to know with these things, you know, is it intuition or is it just that you happen to dream of something before it happened, but you've had that dream 10 times before and it, you know, nothing happened. But before the, the Twin Towers, I, I had a dream where I saw two planes crash into an American flag. Um, and I was doing dream interpretation at the time. So I was, I was trying to work out what an American flag, uh, the flag of the United States represents and what two planes would represent. And and then the Twin Towers happened and I sort of thought, oh, right, okay, well, that's, like, um, that makes sense of why I saw that. And, and Jung, before the First World War, a lot of his patients were coming to him with dreams of seeing Europe covered in blood or battle. And he was trying to work this out on an individual level of what does this mean for this client? And then the First World War broke out and that's when he, he developed this concept of the uh, collective consciousness. That we somehow we can, as a species, we can tap into something which is more than just our own mind. Mm. I know that Dan, my other half, had a, a dream just before uh, the COVID pandemic happened, or, or just maybe when it was first detected in China, but he said he had this dream where all the planes in the world were grounded. Mm. Maybe there's something about dreaming of planes. Um, so there was another area where we all agreed, and I want to call us out on this one because even I struggled with answering this. It says, I often do things to help protect animals and plants from extinction. Now, all six of us said yes. Do we? I mean, I was taking this as, well, I feed the squirrels and I've got some nice plants, but I'm protecting from extinction. I thought maybe I was bigging myself up a bit. So I'm just curious about, it's an interesting one that we all said yes to that. 
Now, I read that question a little bit also as it was an interesting question, preventing them from extinction. So it felt like a question about stewardship of the earth mm. and respecting and protecting plants and animals and other living forms. So that's how I interpreted it. And yeah, I mean, I feel, I mean, personally, for me, that's that's part of who I am. And so, you know, I, I'm vegan by choice for almost 20 years now, and that's really coming came from some Buddhist awakenings around compassion and non-harming. And I've always loved plants and studied agronomy and horticulture. And so, yeah, I give to causes, but I, you know, the earth is, we're part of this unconnected fabric of life. And we've separated ourselves out from it so much that we've lost our ability to be one with nature. And when I remembered Nick's story about the man lost in the jungle, speaking the old ways and i was just watching this film on amazon prime yesterday um set in the south pacific on a remote island and they got all the villagers who still live in untouched communities to enact the story of what had happened there a long time ago and it's just beautiful to watch you know and they got to the volcano and then the shaman comes back and he says you know the earth mother the spirit mother has spoken to me and here is the song and then they change their ways based on what the spirit mother communicated. So just this interconnectedness with all of life, which we've lost. And so I like that question. It reminded me that, yes, that, that's really important to me. And there was it. one question that split us 50-50 down the middle. And the question was, I often feel a strong sense of unity with all things around me. And Oliver, Yasser and Nick, you all said yes. And Anders, Matthew and me said no. So is that the the connection to nature or is that this interconnected feeling that you've got? It's it's connection yeah. to nature, yeah. It's like, you know, if if um maybe I've had this since I was in the monastery, but for me, I'd be interested to hear from others. I asked a friend about this and he said he has this as well, but when I'm when I'm walking uh, amongst trees, I feel that there's a silent language that I can't quite hear, but it, it's as if there's this very slow and very gentle conversation going on between uh, the trees. <laughs> there's um, whereas I went into a plantation once, um, a conifer plantation, when I was at a meditation retreat, and. Um, all the trees were planted really closely together and just being grown for their trunks. And I could have just been imagining something, but as soon as I walked into that, I felt this intense sense of anger towards me. Mm. And I just, I just, the moment I walked in, I just felt this claustrophobic sense of anger. And it's just like, oh yeah, I'm definitely not welcome here and they don't like me. Um, and I, I got out as, as, quickly as I could <laughs> it's uh that is interesting because that is a little bit uh similar to why I think I answered no to this question because it's it's a feeling that I get but I think it's often followed and in well followed by a yes but thought you know walking in a forest or so um I think for me often when I start feeling that connectedness and so on, I also start feeling the disconnect uh, quickly of, you know, okay, I'm 
I live in a city or I am distant from this in so many other ways. So maybe it's more so an issue of not really uh, letting myself getting absorbed into that connectedness in a way. Yeah, I think in a city, it can feel overwhelming because um, there's so much going on and you feel so connected to it um, that I have to disconnect sometimes. But going back to what I was saying about um, having hope about spring and all that, that it, it kind of reminded me of, of this question. Um, I was thinking about my walk yesterday and I was with the dogs and there was like a canopy of trees over me and there was the wind just hit right at the right time and just felt like heaven. The only thing that was missing was a Disney like themed <laughs> instrumental track or something like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, even with even with being with my dogs, there's just an, an amazing connection when you see them just kind of trotting along and people looking at them and looking at us and um, there's just something about nature. And even, even being in a city, there's just an awesome sense of connectedness um, that's just undeniable. It's reminded me of, um, luckily Dan doesn't listen to the podcast because I keep talking about him today. When we first got together, like Dan, I think is much more spiritual than I am. And, and we live in London and he told me, <laughs> if you go up and hug a tree, it will tell you its name. And I thought, this is amazing. This is like <laughs> witchcraft. And so I remember <laughs> I used to start going around <laughs> hugging trees and they'd be like, Amanda and I thought oh, this is brilliant <laughs> didn't give it a second thought and maybe about five or six years later saying something to him about that and he went I was only joking and it, <laughs> and it was like finding out Santa wasn't real because I'd been going around hugging these trees and hearing their names and he was like don't be ridiculous and I, I mean he is much more spiritual than I am so I do think he does believe some of that but it was just I believed it for a while and I started thinking there was some magic around. And I quite liked that because actually I'm not very in tune with nature. I think that's probably why I scored so low on this quiz because there are lots of questions about nature and it seems like that's a real theme of uh, being a spiritual person. There was some of the differences and so I'm, just gonna, I'm curious about these ones. There was one question that said, sometimes I felt like I was part of something with no limits or boundaries in time or space. And we all said yes to that, except Anders. And yet I remember you telling us about your childhood meditations of endless space. So what, what was it about this question that you think moved you in that way? Um, well, I think just, uh, I, I like to imagine that uh, boundlessness and, and think about it. But I think with that question specifically, uh, maybe interpreted it in a way where it's, it's a recurring feeling or knowledge and it's more so something that I would have to conjure up a little bit if I want to if I want to feel it and but actually I think with my specific answer to this specific question it's that uh, it's the time aspect that I I don't I have I have trouble time traveling uh, I, that's I have some form of limit where that's, it's a little bit harder to imagine something that's not bound by time. I hope you put that on your LinkedIn profile. I have trouble with time traveling. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, there's also <laughs> one person who answered no to the question, I believe that miracles happen. And that was Nick. You said no and everyone else said yes. Say more about that. Maybe it's a matter of semantics, but when I hear miracle, I, I tend to uh, associate it with, with a, a, a Christian mindset of it mm. being God uh, or a saint. Um, and so from my Buddhist perspective, there is no God. Um, uh, there's simply consciousness um, interacting in different, different ways. Um, so, so I thought about that one and I was thinking like, well, what does it mean by miracle? And, and if it's saying, you know, a, a saintly miracle or uh, someone intervening and something happening, um, you know, my belief is much more that things happen as a, as a cause and effect, consequential, um, interrelated uh, process. Um, so in that sense, there, there's no one to intervene from outside or to make anything happen. Um, there may be things which would be considered miraculous. I mean, in the Buddha's story, you know, he could uh, appear in multiple places at the same time. Uh, so he could astrally project himself and appear to different people at different moments whilst um, still being in one spot um or walking on water it's but in a way you see that wasn't really a miracle you know the buddha could walk on water if he wanted to he could um he could read people's minds but it's not so much a miracle it's more why when you see through or my understanding from, from those teachings is when you see through the illusory nature of subject object uh dichotomy uh, and you realize that everything is pure consciousness where well, the Buddha was no longer limited to identifying with his body as being the home of consciousness. So he could project his consciousness out somewhere. He could walk through something solid because he saw that it was simply energy and that, you know, there was no uh, object there uh, to, so it wasn't a miracle. It's simply learning the deeper law of, of the nature of things. It's like that scene in the matrix, there is no spoon. Yeah, that's great. It's like totally that. <laughs> it's only your spiritual. mind perceiving the spoon and giving and, it a name. And why did others reply that we do believe in miracles? Well, I think that there's a there's an aspect of uh, Christianity that um, I, I guess I still resonate with. Um, you know, like the Pentecostal, the, the hand laying on hands and all that. I don't know if I believe in that stuff anymore, but it helped me to gain the foundation of understanding what miracles are to me. And a lot of times it's just the everyday stuff. Like for instance, um, Nick was talking about um, having a dream about 9-11. And prior to 9-11 for me, I started seeing 9-11 on the clock about six months before it happened. And when I woke up that morning, it was just like I I could see all the times that I saw the clock at 9-11 and it, everything just kind of shifted into place. But I think our dreams are miracles, especially if it's like a deja vu moment. Um, but I just see miracles in the everyday life of it all. 
Yeah, I kind of love what you say, Oliver. And I resonate with Nick too in that, you know, miracles is often bound up within a more theological or religious, you know, package. And we need to free it from that. Just as you said, you see miracles every day. And, you know, Marion, Marion Williamson defines miracles as a shift from fear to love, um, which is beautiful. And so there's it, for me, miracles are something unexpected. It's, it's out of the ordinary and it doesn't have to be grand, but it's unexpected. That's one quality. And the second is that there's a sense of grace of how it comes about. There's this almost this bestowing of some grace through the universe or through a higher power, whatever you believe that, you know, brings this into your life. And so I think, I feel, yeah, these small miracles. I mean, the other day I was, it had been raining here and there's a tree outside my friends with little red leaves and the flowers are starting to bloom. And I said, oh, look at all those lovely little bluish, you know, just, just ice blue flowers. And I looked close and the flowers hadn't bloomed, but there was all this dew from the night below on the leaves. And from the balcony, it was just the shimmering little blue lights of, you know, just brilliant. And I just was transfixed. And to me, just being in that moment is a miracle. So even what others consider mundane or we rush by, it's just, wow, look at this. You know, there's some, something happening here that's just so beautiful. And so it doesn't have to be, doesn't always have to be big or grand. Yeah, so, I think you know, the question is a bit loaded that way in the way it's worded. It, mm. I would have preferred it said differently. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, I think for me too, I, I don't react to the word miracle in any way because I grew up Christian and it's not a it's not a strange word and I hadn't really thought about it as being something specifically Christian but of course uh, uh, that makes sense and but I think I also have the perspective of seeing the little things that happen and uh, maybe a little bit tied into the the intuition and sixth sense uh, discussion as well uh, for me is where where I that to me is what I've seen as miracles perhaps in in the past and um, just now I started thinking about the example of uh, when I was on sick leave in 2018 stressed out and uh, starting to think you know maybe I should freelance instead of sit in an office uh, nine to five and had just started talking about that with my husband and then uh, I was talking to my oldest sister and she had had an evening prayer with her kids and they had prayed for me because I wasn't well and so on and her son had just said maybe Anders should start his own company and he doesn't have this you know uh, understanding of what that even is uh, but to me that was one of those times where I'm like there there are just so many different things coming together here uh, that this is the kind of thing that I view as a as a miracle. Uh, and it's not big, but it's it's out of the ordinary, as Yasser said. There's two things I can think of that seem to kind of weave through all of those examples. And one was just before I met Dan, uh, I, I remember being in Manchester for the weekend and just feeling like, oh, I'm done with being single. I'm just done with it. And I've always been even though I'm not religious, I, I think I'm I'm absolutely not religious compared to what I think I might be in terms of spirituality. 
I've always loved churches. I've always had a real attraction to them. And so I remember going into this church in Manchester and they had a, a prayer box, like a little, you know, make a wish <laughs> foundation kind of thing. And I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I just wrote down on this piece of paper, please send me someone to love and put it in this little box. And I met Dan a week later. And that I kind of go, well, yes, I could write it off as coincidence. I could say that I was sending out some kind of energy of something. But I kind of go, God, that just really sticks out for me. And I mean, maybe religion is another topic for another uh, episode, but I've been questioning it a lot lately. And you know, Anders and I have talked about it, about the difference between growing up religious and growing up without any faith, which is my experience. And I was talking to another friend of mine who uh, recommended, he's studying a PhD in philosophy and theology. And he recommended this book called Spirituality for Skeptics. And I thought, okay, yeah, that, sounds, that sounds like me. And it's out of print. And so I ordered the book and it arrived. It was like a secondhand, a used version. And it had a name in the cover. And I thought, oh, I'm nosy. So I Googled this name. It was quite an unusual name. And it belonged to someone 15 years ago who's now working in the church across the road from where we live. And I kind of went, oh, <laughs> of all the books in all the world and all the names that could have been in them, isn't it interesting that it's someone across the road? And that's when I kind of go, oh, is this someone trying to tell me something or am I reading into it? And so when I answered this question, yes, I kind of, I, I wonder if it was more from a place of, God, would it be nice if there was miracles? Wouldn't it be nice if there was something that we could go, yeah, there's someone looking out for us somehow. But maybe that's my need to believe in Santa. Yeah, well, interesting, even in, in Buddhism, there is this notion of a, a guardian spirit. Oh, so, um, yeah, there isn't, there isn't the idea that there's a creator God in Buddhism, although the, the Buddha acknowledged that there was a God realm and Indra, who was the... Uh, the king of the gods uh, mistakenly thought he was the creator of the universe because he'd had a thought whilst he was all alone, wouldn't it be good if there were sort of more people here and I could rule over them? And just at that moment, other consciousnesses started getting rebirth into this world era. And then he thought, oh, I created all of this. <laughs> um so that that's the buddha's take on <laughs> so, like um the notion that uh, a god created everything it was just a bit of egotistical uh, mistaken uh uh thinking but they they in I, I mean you know you can't prove this but there is this notion that we all have this punya devata uh this this uh, uh god uh, of merit, God that's attracted to our, our merit, our goodness, um, and that these uh, uh, energetic beings uh, who aren't in physical form, but they are with us uh, and they watch over us. Um, and I've definitely had times where, say, like I've been cycling along uh, and I've just had a thought, oh, I should break now. And then as I break, a car comes out from somewhere. Um, and then I'd always just say, oh, thank you, Punya Devita. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Guardian Spirit, for looking after me. Um, 
so I guess on that level, I do believe that, you know, there is some uh, entity and I, I watched a video recently about a guy who had a near death experience and he described how as he died, uh, he, he met this being um, that identified itself as God, but he said it was this intensely masculine being and feminine at the same time. It, it wasn't simply one gender, it was this uh, combination of, of energies. Uh, and that then after he'd met this being, he then met two angels and, and they identified themselves as being his guardian angels who were watching over him. Uh, and then they took him back down to earth and he hovered over the the scene where he saw himself lying on the road and his friend separated off somewhere at a distance. And then he was taken back into his body again. So you could say that's a miracle. <laughs> wow. And when he asked his friend afterwards, they, he said, yeah, they separated because he'd thrown himself out of the car. He'd opened the door to try and commit suicide. Um, and so the police had separated his friend off because they suspected them of having pushed him out. And, and so we're trying, you know, we're keeping the friend at a distance to question them. Does that mean we get to be guardian angels at some point in the future? Am I, am I being too optimistic about that? Yeah, yeah, you could be. I think it'd make a great guardian angel. Yes, you would. <laughs> I don't know, I think I'd be going, yeah, go on, have that next tequila, do it, what have you got to lose? <laughs> I'd be the bad angel on the shoulder. <laughs> and to be fair, the, the results of our quiz bear that out. So the way, the way that this quiz is scored, and we can hold it as lightly as possible, um, if you score 14 or above, it puts you in the highest category, which means you are highly spiritual. And everyone was in that category, except me. <laughs> what category were you in, Paul? So I was in the next category. I scored 13, which means I'm spiritually aware, but not highly spiritual. But it does mean that I scored the lowest in the group. Um, the highest scorer in the group was Oliver. You scored 19 points. And oh. then Nick and Yasser tied with 17 and then next with Matthew with 15 and then Anders you just scraped into that category <laughs> with one point more than I did you got 14 which put you into that highly spiritual place so I don't know what do you make of that I mean the quiz I don't really care about the quiz itself I, the scores are nonsense of course I would say that because I scored the lowest but it's just raised so many different things for us and so many different bits of conversation. Like what, what do you think it reveals about our relationship to spirituality, if anything? I don't know how you can quantify spirituality um, within a test. I mean, there are just so many different levels and experiences and um, like where you grew up, where, I mean, there are just so many different ways that I don't think are taken into account in a, what is it, a 10 question test, maybe? I think it was 20. I think you scored 19. Oh, was it? 20. Was it, yeah. was it 20? Oh, okay. I don't remember it being that long, but... Um, it's because you were absent-minded in the flow, which is another aspect of spirituality according <laughs> to this test. <laughs> absent-minded, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of, I did wonder you if know, there was some kind of bias. Sorry, yes, I go. I was going to say to your question, I mean, we could spend years talking about spirituality and still not fully arrive at what it is. 
right? And as Oliver said, it's hard to quantify. But, you know, the Zen way of, of looking at things, you know, there's the moon and there's the fingers pointing at the moon. And so all of this is fingers pointing at the moon. We what don't does really that mean? know. It means we can't really know the moon. We just can't. Because consciously we can see it and we can perceive it. But we can't really know it because in the way we can't really know the universe or God or universal energy or whatever we believe. So it's always fingers pointing at the moon. And that's all we can do is point at something, but pointing at it doesn't mean knowing it. So science describes the world in a certain way, but all it is is describing the world. It's not the world. It can reduce it to length and breadth and width. It can say this is the visible spectrum, and then they suddenly realize there's all this ultraviolet light and invisible spectrums and radio waves. We can't see those, but they're always there. And so, well, we're just trying to describe the world, the point of the moon, but we can't ever really, that's not the way to direct knowing of it. So that's the trap. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to speak of spirituality because at the end of it, there's a great mystery there that we may not fully comprehend in our current conscious awareness. And we have glimpses of it. Yeah, it reminds me that the Buddha always said if he was asked to describe enlightenment, he would always refuse because he said that um, perceiving things as we do through our senses and identifying as an individual ego self, it was impossible to have enlightenment described in any way that would make sense to us. And so what he would do is, that, you know, for him, his teaching he described it as being raft to get from one shore to another. So spirituality in that sense is a, is a, is a raft that's inviting us to cross the river. Uh, but then once you get to the other side, it's like you don't need to carry the raft on your shoulders. Um, you know, you're there, you know what the other side, so like Yas is saying, you, the finger pointing at the moon, you, you know, and, until you actually arrive and experience the other side then you know it and and in the knowing of it there's a dissolving of ego and that can always sound a bit abstract but i've got one friend who did describe their enlightenment experience to me and, and it was very much around this unraveling of of self-identities because we're not even one self anyway it's like you know when when you sit and meditate you notice that there's competing selves um, all interacting with each other. But as, as she went through this experience, she saw all of those identities unravel until there was simply a, the consciousness which knew these identities and, and they were never able to reform again after that. So she could still operate, uh, but she no longer had a sense of being a, a fixed eye that was the one operating. Um, so I guess spirituality for me is about the path that leads to that awakening, whatever path people are following uh, to bring them there. I love that. I think this is the first test I've ever taken where I don't mind coming last because it, I, it makes me want to do better. It makes me want to learn more. It makes me want to think how I can be a bit more connected into all these different concepts and ways of being. And I think because I have that 
will or that wish, I think it gives me a bonus mark, which automatically puts me into the 14 category. So we can now say we are all highly spiritual. So thank you for doing that <laughs> quiz. Um, <laughs> I, do, I do think this is something that we, we will come back to in future episodes. There's so much in here and I'd love to find out more both about our our journeys into spirituality and our experiences of it and also other issues around religion and how that compares and contrasts. So any thoughts before we move into the meditation just that you want to add in on spirituality, your scores, what it doesn't mean? Sure, yeah, just that we're, I think Nick summed it up beautifully when he talked about it being this path and it's just, it's got nothing to do with where anyone is relative to anyone else. It's not a, it's not a ranking. It's a, it's a journey of awakening. And I think it's very, to me, it feels very personal. Mm-hmm. And I see all beings as spiritual in the sense I don't, that doesn't mean that I see all beings as ascribing to my particular pathway, but I see that we, you know, there's something more to all of us than the, the bodily five sensory experience. And the ways we're connected that we don't fully understand. It's, there's a great mystery and we're part of it. Mm. Thank you. So just in our final few minutes, Nick, I wonder if you could take us through a, a five minute or so meditation just on anything that's come up for you through this mm. process, through this episode. No pressure, um, but uh, yeah, we even though you weren't quite the most spiritual in the quiz, we all thought you were. So that's you know, there's something there. <laughs> I, I'm going to put myself on mute so that I can give you some space without being interrupted and distracted. And uh, it's over to you. Thank you. I'm going to invite you to come into a guided visualization and this is a visualization for connecting with the observing self. So you were talking about spirituality and spirituality is maybe that ability to let go a little bit of identifying with the ego self and shifting into the observing self, the one that knows, uh, that can see Uh, or be present to thoughts and emotions without gluing itself to them or saying, you know, I am this thought or I am this emotion. So settling into a, a comfortable posture, lifting the breastbone and allowing the shoulders to roll back and down, lengthening the back of the neck and tucking the chin in slightly, So you're sitting still, tall and strong like a mountain. As you have your eyes closed, bringing your attention inside. And feeling the weight of your body. The contact with the chair or cushion or whatever surface is holding you. And the heaviness of your legs. The contact of your feet with the floor.
if you are new to meditation or even if you're familiar, one of the things we can really struggle with is just how busy the mind is and then feeling that we somehow need to make the mind quiet. But with this meditation, we're, we're taking a different attitude. So imagining it's as if you were an explorer, you were on safari and you're in your hide out on the savannah somewhere. And all these different animals are walking past. And you're simply paying attention to each animal as it passes without going out and engaging with it or trying to push it away. You're not pursuing it and trying to pull it towards you and, and you're not fighting it. You're simply knowing that it's there. And so in the same way with your thoughts, as you sit here, seeing if you can be that observing self, the one that knows, simply registering that thoughts arise, exist for a, a period of time, and dissolve away. Noticing your tendency to fuse with a thought, to become the identity that is that thought or is connected with that thought. And then seeing in that moment if there can be a letting go of being attached to the thought and instead you simply know that this thought is passing through consciousness. and noticing if you've got glued to a thought again. And what is it that knows? What is it that knows the thought but isn't the thought? What is it that knows the sound outside as sound consciousness arises, as the ear picks up sound, but simply knows the sound without then identifying with, I like that sound, or I don't like that sound, or, oh, that's a bird, or that's a plane. What is it that simply knows? And then if there's a thought of, well, this doesn't make sense to me, I can't do this, I don't understand this, I'm not spiritual. Then what knows that thought? A thought can only arise because there is space. Form can only come into being because there is space in which that form can appear. Thoughts can only appear because there is space. Thoughts are like form arising within the space of consciousness.
having that curiosity as we come to the end of the meditation that as you go through your day or as you engage in meditation, how is it to simply notice thoughts or sounds outside or even the things that you're seeing without grasping hold of them, but being the, the knowing, the consciousness in which those forms are arising. And so bringing that practice to a close, keeping that question there with you. So where is the knowing? Where is the one that knows in my day-to-day -day experience? Thank you, Nick. That was amazing. I had the most perfect safari outfit in that meditation. And I imagine that's probably quite a difficult thing to buy for, but I immediately just pictured myself in this really <laughs> tailored, you know, I had a hat and everything. It was perfect. Great. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. That was really beautiful. Uh, so we've come to the end of another Hopecast and uh, we're really grateful for everyone who's tuned in to listen. Uh, we appreciate those five star reviews that you keep giving us. You can follow us on all the socials at Hopecast Podcast. Uh, you can be part of the House of Hopecast. We could try that one on for size. And you can email your dilemmas to wwbd at hopecastpodcast.com. Tune in to our next extra cast where white van drag queen Matthew will be talking about spirituality. I'll be asking him where he got his nickname, the spiritual hooker from. So that's going to be one to look out for. Uh, so how about you boys? Where can people connect with you? Where can they find you if you want to be found? Well, um, I'm on Instagram. That's easiest and simply look for untangle the tangle, untangle the tangle. So yes, I uh, have a meditation class for gay by trans men. Um, uh, and uh, one of the easiest ways to find it actually is to Google gay meditation London um, and it comes up. Uh, but you can also come to my uh, Instagram, which is evolving underscore minds with an S underscore UK. And I can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Amaris Vitae um, for my business stuff and for daily meditations. For my personal Instagram page, it's Oliver J. Clark and the number three. And if you want to see pictures of my dog, Jeffrey, it's uh, at Anders Creative on Instagram. Everyone wants to see pictures of Jeffrey. We need to get Jeffrey on one day. We need to have him as a special guest. Side-eye, side-eye guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Paul Taylor Pitt. 
So thank you, everyone. Lovely to see you. We'll see you again on our next episode. Take care.